ever wondered who and what is shaping Luxembourg? This is your Lux Unplugged podcast with your hosts, Adrian and Thierry. Hi, I'm Adrian. Welcome back to the Lux Unplugged podcast. And thanks for listening to another episode of the Supply Chain Untangled series. This series is kindly supported by the Cluster for Logistics in Luxembourg. In this conversation, I sit down with Philippe Hemar, a well-regarded supply chain expert and former vice president at Amazon Logistics Europe. On this occasion, we talk about the importance of the logistics job within the company. Philippe joined Amazon in 2000, at a time when the company's size and influence was completely different to what most people know of this mammoth today. For an e-commerce giant like Amazon, logistics is the core component of their business model, which we extensively discuss in this conversation. Then we go through the major lessons from the COVID-19 pandemic and to a certain degree the war in Ukraine. All those enormous disruptions have led companies to drastically change the way of handling their supply chains. Philip reveals what weaknesses he has seen in many businesses and how they can address them going forward. Finally, we briefly touch upon his involvement as supply chain teacher at the University of Luxembourg and what kind of candidates would be suitable for this highly specialised master's degree in logistics and supply chain. And now, without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Philippe Hemar, supply chain expert and former vice president at Amazon Logistics Europe. Philippe, welcome to Lux Unplugged. Welcome, Adrian. Thank you very much. Before we kick off and discuss all those very interesting topics that, that you're involved in, for our audience, could you please introduce yourself? Yeah, uh, I'm uh, Philippe Hemar. I'm uh, an expert in supply chain. Uh, I spent more than uh, 25 years working in this area, mostly in, uh, in logistic. And uh, I've been lucky to, uh, to uh, start Amazon uh, when Amazon started in France and uh, spent uh, 17 years at Amazon running the supply chain in Europe. And was there any predicament that led you to choose this particular career um, path? Uh, not at all. I, I think uh, originally I, I was going to, for finance. I, I started uh, uh, some finance uh, studies and uh, in, on the way I realized I was not uh, ready to spend my day uh, behind a desk and uh, behind figures despite I like figures and finally is the reason why I, I, I went to this new uh, area because in the 90s it was a new area which was developing quite strongly and which was the supply chain and the logistic uh, where there was much more uh, uh, interaction on the ground uh, much more interaction with the people management is a, is a key element of the supply chain manager, and, uh, and it was very, very connected to the strategy of a company. Therefore, is the reason why I decided to, uh, to move in that way. Out of interest, would you say that the logistics back in the 90s, the, um, the world is just, it was post the fall of the Berlin Wall, it was, and actually also, also post end of the Soviet Union, would you say that uh, this historical event kicked off the version of what you know today of the logistics, given that the world is more globalized since? Yeah, without any doubt. I think if you, even if you go back, I think it's very interesting because uh, logistics is an old and or supply chain and logistics, but logistics maybe to start with is an old and a new uh, job. Uh, when you think about it, the first logistic was under Napoleon. And when he started to, uh, uh, to do for the war and, and he created the logistic, making sure that everything was there where it has to be uh, when he was doing war. These jobs, they uh, really uh, like that for almost 200 years. And, uh, and ultimately, uh, in the 90s or maybe in the 80s already, people started to think there was a strategic aspect of it. And uh, of course, there was a lot of money spending to logistic for every company, whatever you were doing. 
and uh, is the reason why I think in the 80s, end of the 80s, early 90s, people get it very interesting to say, to have professional into that, teaching logistics, really understanding the basic of uh, warehousing, transportation, uh, inventory placement, uh, uh, inventory management. And, uh, and uh, yes, I do believe, and it's accelerating, and I, I, we see more and more uh, jobs uh, being created in logistics and uh, jobs in logistics being higher and higher in companies now regularly at the, uh, at the executive committee of a company. Talking about companies and uh, the champions that have led this, this initiative, so you, you mentioned just earlier that uh, so you spent 17, well, nearly two decades essentially at Amazon. Amazon has got their European headquarters based in Luxembourg. It's, a, it's one of the largest private employers nationally, so it's, it's a big thing. So Jeff Bezos, the current founder and CEO of, of the company, started the company in the, in the 90s, and, and back then the picture was completely different. But from your perspective, Philip, how would you then describe this journey at Amazon? What, what, was they, what were the highlights? What did you learn from all this? Yeah, I, I learned many things, and uh, and uh, what basically uh, when you discuss about the, the start of Amazon, it started in '95 exactly, which is definitely at the mid '90s. But one of the strong aspects of Amazon, which was interesting to join this company when you are like me, a, a supply chain expert or logistician, that was the company definitely put at their art the logistic to build the business, meaning that the, the e-commerce at such put uh, uh, even bigger emphasis on logistics because you are taking away the shops, which are definitely another job, you know, not managing inventory, but really the shops, how to set up a shop, making people coming to your shop. And uh, you're really connected the website directly to, uh, uh, to the customer. And in between, there's only logistics. And, uh, and, uh, and Jeff Bezos, to, to speak about him, that was definitely one of the cornerstone of what he built. Meaning that when I remember when I interview uh, at Amazon, you know, I was coming from the third party logistic. I was working for the company called Danzas at that time, which became DHL uh, uh, in the early 2000s. And uh, we were doing uh, uh, third party logistic for people. And when I, Amazon uh, uh, chased me in 2000, one of my first questions was, OK, you are internet. You're starting in France. How could I be confident that you're not going to just turn your logistic to a, uh, to a third party logistic? Therefore, you, you will not need me really much, you know, why would you run your warehouses? Why would you run your own, tra- your own transportation, not yet, but the transportation network? And the answer was, no, that's for our company. That's the key, that the internet is one, obviously, and how to set a website, how to attract people to come to the website. But one of the key of the e-commerce would be uh, being excellent in logistics. Therefore, for us, we need to take that as a core and we're going to invest into it. And it's the reason why I decided to join because I didn't want to go back to, to another one which will end up in a third-party logistic ultimately. And basically, it, it hold, hold it's promise, obviously, because uh, uh, after 17 years, I've been able to build several fulfillment centers. And I learned a lot about that as well, partly for e-commerce. And, uh, and we even ended up uh, creating our own transportation network, which is uh, uh, obviously a, a huge step, uh, uh, which uh, made me uh, learning as well a lot on the, on the detail of how to deliver and last mile delivery uh, 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 for e-commerce. Back at the time, so it's today, the, the share price of Amazon reflects it. It's a highly profitable company because it's, it's acquired lots of market share over time. But for a very long time, Amazon wasn't running any profits. They were just running losses in, in order to, to just gain that share. And back in the days when you started, so it was, it was a very long time ago compared to, to what it is today, did you have this, this vision that Amazon would turn into this giant that it is today, knowing that for many years it didn't turn any profit? No, I, I think, honestly, no, uh, because uh, I, I think everybody has been surprised. Uh, and uh, I, I would 
I cannot tell for sure, but uh, even if uh, Jeff was uh, aiming definitely to get a big company, uh, I think for many years, uh, uh, even himself had been surprised of the success of Amazon, uh, meaning that he was con absolutely convinced that Amazon would be successful. But the, the, the size and how it was going fast uh, at Amazon, therefore, I tell you, when I joined, I was uh, still in the early 30s or just about 30s, 29, if I remember well. And, uh, and basically, uh, uh, there was a bet for me. I go for a company. I didn't know if they will uh, uh, survive long, but uh, I thought it was interesting because I be believed in Internet uh, still at that time. And I thought it was an interesting concept. Therefore, uh, I joined. I believed that the company could be successful because there was a lot of things which were uh, making it interesting, and, uh, but no certainty that they will be successful and it will be that big. And I believe, uh, I believe not before 2010, 11, we realized that how big Amazon could be. Before that, of course, uh, uh, there was the doubt that maybe that uh, it will never be uh, as large because uh, they will never make profit. Because if I remember where well, the full year of profit was 2007, to be checked, but uh, around that, therefore, uh, I, I, I live in a company for more than seven years, which was not making a profit for a full year. And I will just correct one thing at the end about the large profit of Amazon. You say now it's making a large profit. Amazon doesn't make large profit. Uh, of course, in uh, billions of dollars, it's large. But uh, as you said, in percentage, it's very small indeed in comparison of many other companies, which is basically a key part of the success, you know, not running large margin. Uh, to accumulate large dollar uh, profit. Yeah, no, you're right. It's turned into something which is which is unrecognizable compared to the early days. So that's that's for sure. But actually, no, you know what, Philip? Moving on to um, to something which is more um, of the present, because um, it's been now more than two years since the world has, has experienced uh, the pandemic, changes linked to that, lots of disruptions, and and of course, I mean, experts like you have been very busy advising and speaking to companies that uh, that are very much depending on on supply chains and so forth and and one of your mantras i believe is that you you advise people and companies to adapt to change very quickly uh, and i was actually very interested to understand if you had any use case to talk about you know our audience thinks about okay change change quickly but what kind of examples can you walk us through that that are that are very relevant in this case yeah the, well, that, you mentioned some of them already in your question i mean what one of the things that uh, this pandemic has revealed is a uh, three elements. Uh, first, you need to know very well what uh, your supply chain or your operations are. And, uh, and, and many companies don't have not spent enough time to understand uh, really uh, uh, how their supply chain is set up, uh, who are their, their suppliers, uh, tier one, of course. Now, most of them will know, meaning really the one they buy from, but what are the tier two, tier three suppliers and document it. Uh, that was one uh, that has been uh, clearly uh, uh, revealed. The second one is the lack of plan and lack of strategy, uh, which means that if we don't know where we go, it's very difficult to understand when we're not uh, aiming to where we want it to be. And, uh, and most of the company have been running uh, uh, for a year plan, you know, on the budget side and never, never, never project themselves too far and or not far enough. And I'm not speaking about 10 years or 20 years. I'm talking about three years or five years. Now you're going to tell me, but it's the opposite because in terms of pandemic, you need to uh, change and therefore the plan is over yet. But to understand when the plan is over, you need to know your plan, basically. That's uh, because it's at exactly at that time you will start analyzing gap and maybe uh, uh, what you need to change and how you change the plan. And, and the last thing you, you mentioned it indeed is the capability and, and the, the culture of change and making sure that the people which are in the organization uh, is going to be agile. It's a very uh, trendy word, but, but it's a real word, you know, meaning 
inter interpret what is going on and uh, and being able to respond and change the plan indeed or change at least the, the actions uh, even if it's not in the plan in order to make sure that we are either limiting the risk uh, taking uh, opportunity because in terms of change even in a pandemic there are opportunities uh, we've seen it the e-commerce for example uh, was indeed uh, boosted uh, during the very beginning of the pandemic due to the fact that nobody could go to shops therefore uh, e-commerce uh, became uh, for that time period an alternative a very strong alternative which boosted all e-commerce uh, people and and there basically that's the the three components i would say that uh, uh, pandemic has relief the company were lacking and and, and unfortunately uh, in terms of pandemic when the thing changing uh, unexpectedly if you don't have the team uh, who knows what their plan are who knows how their logistic is is done and really well where uh, potentially uh, their supplier are, are uh, where are your customer your supplier even for some time is customer and finally you you don't have a team which are able to embrace and jump and follow their business and and change the whatever the course of action in uh, uh, in light of the event uh, you end up in a situation where uh, where you could lose a lot of money, you could stop delivering customer, which happened a lot. You could run out of stock. I think everybody will remember the toilet paper event. And, and now we have other, by the way, but this one was really focused uh, during the, even some pasta or basic uh, goods were not available. And that is the disruption which happened when you don't have this element and nobody is able to uh, to react, basically. After the pandemic, you know, we've also had the, the, the war in Ukraine, so the, the geopolitics changing the whole landscape and uh, where there's a bit of a divide between the West and um, and other regions. We're talking about friends versus, uh, I wouldn't call it enemies, but less reliable partners. So would you say that, uh, do you see like any trend, you know, with all the companies that are rethinking their supply chain? Is there some form of reshoring trends happening so that to make sure that, you know, if it's pandemic, then any any other extreme shock, then they will just be able to secure supply chains and, and have still the connections with countries that are more friendly than, than others in the current context? Yeah, without I think the first one was was without any doubt the pandemic, uh, uh, which are the, the the problem is over the last twenty years or maybe thirty, but uh, we had become uh, very dependent to uh, to globalization, and uh, obviously everybody put his uh, production or work. The whole internet helps as well to that. And now you can connect to uh, the other side of the world very easily. You don't have even to go potentially now. It's still good to meet people, but. You can really find a supplier, start doing business with someone in China or wherever in the world. And uh, and that's pushed in a world where there was no disruption. That's been pushed to extreme. Therefore, people, as I said, get people all around the world, sometimes not knowing them and, and starting to do business. Transportation uh, was flourishing. Partly the, the sea freight uh, was flourishing and growing so fast. Therefore, everything was available. Now, what this pandemic and the succession of events the, the Ukraine war is another one, uh, uh, has created a, a, an uncertainty where people think that, no, that it's not going to happen like it should, uh, like it has been always happening. Uh, therefore, uh, what do we do? And, and what we've seen is people looking for two strategies at least is uh, reinsuring, you're right, but at least reinsuring partly or uh, diversifying uh, their, their uh, uh, supply. Uh, which could be by taking uh, back uh, uh, some production elsewhere, not relying necessarily in uh, ocean freight, uh, and uh, and also making some inventory closer. There, there was a good sentence which was been used very quickly after the pandemic that made uh, which was uh, basically instead of a, a just in time inventory, meaning really getting the inventory at the last time when you need it, when you're pretty sure 
you remove a little bit in just in case inventory, meaning that people start thinking about, okay, now that was good to get very tight in managing the inventory to the minimum, but we've seen the limits. Uh, now maybe we should think about, yes, in most of the time this inventory will be enough, but uh, should we have a safety stock in it, uh, uh, slightly bigger and, and putting elsewhere or produce elsewhere? that we can activate. Therefore, what I think we will do is uh, obviously a uh, uh, company is going to spend more time to uh, uh, look at alternative uh, suppliers and having a broader uh, range of suppliers for the same product. Factory, uh, including themselves, by the way, and geographically located differently as well. Meaning, and in that case, some of them will be re put back in the country, or at least for Europe, back in Europe, or closer uh, for the US as well, back in the US. We've seen that as well, as has been done by a few uh, few companies as well. That that's really one of the trends, but I don't think that will mean everything is going to become local, however, uh, because uh, we still have a, a ma major. Uh, gap in terms of uh, labor wages, particularly, which create the fact that, uh, which maintain the fact that uh, people will still have to be competitive on their market on some product to produce elsewhere. But there may be some mitigation uh, strategy, which will force a company to, uh, to split and re uh, uh, relocalize some businesses. Yeah, you're just um, mentioning some trends about you know, not having the skills and so forth to bring back some some of the production elements or, or anything that is no, no, no longer within within a certain reach. What about the investments in technology, anything that promotes automation so that you compress those costs and still ensure that the supply chains are, are still secured while it's not you know, compromising your, your profit margin and so forth, which is, again, in the world of businesses, it's an, it's an essential component to, to look for. So uh, what's your thinking about this? It's a, it's, a, it's a very good point. That's one of the uh, means by which uh, it would be easier to reinsure some activity, uh, production as well, but overall activities is this uh, automation that we've been seeing in, uh, uh, in production, yes, but it was there for a long time, I would say, but also for some handling, some storage, some logistic aspect where sometimes it was easier to put uh, somewhere because it was cheaper to get it inventory in a uh, 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 low uh, real estate uh, cost country, you know, and low labor just to do the now, uh, thanks to automation, particularly, which is entering in supply chain and logistic, we can uh, put much more inventory in a certain square foot and uh, indeed optimize better and put the inventory closer to customer. Uh, for all the system, for example, all those robots which are doing the uh, storing, automating storing. More and more, we see uh, uh, coming some robots for handling as well. Uh, I mean, of course, the AMR, you know, automated uh, uh, mobile device which are could bring and move stuff in a warehouse or in a factory, by the way, uh, which are uh, uh, non-man. Uh, all those elements help as well to reduce the pressure that labor costs put on the on the logistics, at least, uh, and on a, a warehousing, particularly in that case, uh, and will help to bring those closer because one of the bigger uh, uh, harder to get all this activity, you know, in Western Europe and uh, is to get this uh, 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 labor, which is going to cost maybe 10 times more than uh, Eastern Europe and uh, 20 times more in, uh, in uh, Asia. And, uh, and basically, all those elements helps to free us up of that, as well as the, the labor shortage, you know, because we, we tend to focus uh, very uh, all the time on the cost of labor, which is a which is a fact, and and uh, even if the gap is 
closing, the speed by which it's closing, it will take maybe 30 years or 50 years to get uh, uh, China at the, at the level of uh, uh, Western Europe. But uh, what we tend to forget is uh, what we need to face as well is the shortage of labor. And uh, I know that in countries like Luxembourg, where we have 4.7%, 4.8% uh, unemployment, we still think, well, there is no specific uh, issue with labor. But, uh, uh, you know, when you try to put the warehouse uh, of 1,000 or 1,500 people, uh, in a country like Luxembourg, it won't be possible. For example, you will never find a thousand or uh, uh, 1,500 people to come working for you in those jobs, particularly because obviously Luxembourg has level of education and, and, uh, and the type of job they're, they've been having. Uh, uh, it will be very difficult to, to uh, fill all your job. And, and, and I speak about Luxembourg, obviously, because we are in that, but it's valid for many countries and even with countries like France or Germany, which have higher unemployment rates, you know, Unfortunately, it's very difficult in big cities to find the number of people to work. Therefore, the automation comes to help that because uh, uh, that also removes some uh, uh, need in terms of number of people and elevate a little bit as well, to be honest, the, the level of the people required. You know, instead of people picking or packing, just very basic without no specific education, you start uh, needing to some engineer, more engineer, more maintenance people uh, and more uh, uh, educated job around those robots. So you're mentioning earlier, so for a company or for logistics to be successful in the way they applied for a company that's that's looking to adapt. So there was having a plan. It doesn't necessarily need to be a long-term plan, but something where you, you're planning for, for change quickly. You have automation, you have corporate culture, but then the most important thing is education. So when it comes to training up people that are able to to take up the challenge and have the right uh, the right skills to do that so, so that brings me to this to the, the actual discipline of teaching it at university so you, you're a teacher in at various academic institutions so you've been doing that for a while one of those institutions is uh, university of luxembourg you are also part of this uh, master's degree program and and one of the key questions i was like asking for anyone involved in university institution is what is your perfect or ideal candidate that should apply for this kind of master's degree? Yes, uh, I, I, I've not mentioned it yet, but you're right. I'm, I'm teaching at uh, uh, Uni in Luxembourg uh, since 2017, when, the, when the, this diploma has been created. Uh, this is a, a master in logistics and supply chain uh, in collaboration with MIT in the US. Uh, and uh, basically, this, this is really a pure uh, logistics and supply chain uh, a topic, therefore, uh, you get really in the detail of uh, many aspects of the supply chain, transportation, inventory management, uh, uh, finance as well of the supply chain, and uh, and uh, basically that's uh, uh, if I connect that, you know, this is one evidence as well of this increase of need of education in one way and proposition from uh, uh, a school of of a, a great program of highly educated people in supply chain and logistic management. And uh, basically, the ideal candidate for that would be someone which is uh, obviously easy with number, because uh, as I, I mentioned earlier, I mean, that that's uh, you, need to, you need to like number to be a, a, a supply chain or, or logistic manager, because everything is about number. And uh, therefore, it's, if you're comfortable with number, but you're interested to 
really go in many, many different areas. Therefore, that's the, the good of supply chain as well. You touch so many aspects that would be on the supply aspect of uh, negotiating and uh, uh, buying, uh, uh, bringing inventory. That could be the management aspect of it as well, meaning that there are a lot of people. If you like supply chain as such, is it's employing a huge number of people across the world and in every country uh, between the, the warehousing and the transportation aspect. Therefore, there is a huge take on the management uh, as well. And if you are curious as well, you know, if you are a bit curious of seeing uh, a wide, not being too narrow on one, one subject, basically, that's what I like as well with the supply chain and what I, I found interesting when the, the, the candidates, you know, are really open, not to already too narrow and I want to deal with that aspect of the supply chain because this is a, this teaching all aspects of the supply chain at a very uh, uh, good level, I believe, and uh, advanced level, and uh, which enable you after to become a project manager in a large company, take responsibility in a, in a, in a large company of already running a small department, you know, because you, you come with a master degree. And, and I think, yes, that, that's the, the key element, the curiosity, the, the, the willingness to, uh, to touch many aspects, but still obviously, uh, uh, in the supply chain and uh, and finally yeah like in numbers and uh, and uh, because technology is making more and more as well as we said and uh, we, we need some uh, uh, engineer type brain and uh, and it, it's a key element as well to enter in this uh, in this master degree that brings me to a more spontaneous question because um, I mean it ties into the educational bit if you had a chance actually to go back to your younger self 20 years ago or 25 odd years ago and tell yourself what would you have done differently back then you know with all the experience you've got today hard to uh, hard to answer it uh, my my my, uh, my inclination which i will not change anything uh because very happy with what i've done so far and very happy where where i'm ending up you know sometimes i'm I never, because I did some finance the, the very early uh, in my education, even in the A-level. Therefore, I, I ended up maybe uh, uh, away from a big mathematics. Therefore, I never worked much on the probabilistic stuff or whatever, and which have become very important. And I had to catch up over time in my business and, and maybe even still uh, largely behind some uh, of other uh, uh, colleague or young, young student indeed. Uh, therefore, I would say, yeah, maybe if I would have had the chance to... Uh, to advance more on mathematics, which would have helped me a lot in the in the, in the suppression area. But again, I, I'm, I'm not sure because in the other end, I learned what I needed to learn. And uh, and ultimately, as uh, uh, when you get lucky, you know, as as you're progressing, uh, you're hiring the people who know better than you. And that's uh, the key element. You know, uh, ultimately, I hired a lot of PhD uh, uh, at Amazon, for example, where I'm not a PhD, uh, but but I hired them. And uh, and and these people were making basically magic for what I needed. I, I just had to express what I needed, and they, they were basically making magic of a, of a simulation and a, and a scenario calculation. Therefore, it's the reason why that, uh, in one end, yes, I would have liked because I've been really grounded to uh, to the operation of my life, and uh, and sometimes I was never scared to take an Excel spreadsheet and starting to do my own queries, which is really the spirit of Amazon as well, and making my own pivot table to figure out things. Uh, in the other end, maybe I would have better tool what we're teaching now, even. 
children uh, uh, to do that even quicker and, uh, and I would do that in my education. But to be very honest, my finance basis as well, which was really my first education uh, up to my degree, was, uh, was already giving me so much asset in this world when you can now connect on the board meeting, on the executive committee and absolutely be on par with most of the senior executive at the table on the finance understanding as well, at least. But I take away from this conversation that you need to be well-rounded and, and be able to use and uh, all the skills you've learned and and be entrepreneurial in your own way. So um and and, and don't don't be afraid of hiring more intelligent people than yourself too. <laughs> oh yeah yeah no by far by far um uh, I have so many people much more clever than me that I'm even more prouder of that than my own uh, my own uh, uh, success as a as a launching a product or whatever. If anyone who's looking to hire you as an advisor or to get benefit from your, from your services. How can they find you? I think the best way is to find me on uh, on LinkedIn. I, I'm, I'm not doing much of uh, I'm not doing much advertising at all. Uh, uh, I've been lucky enough uh, uh, to have a network and uh, uh, which is usually coming to me when they need. And uh, but it's not difficult to join this network indeed uh, uh, on LinkedIn and uh, and message me. I, I'm I'm answering every message even if you say no, sorry, I don't have time or uh, I'm not interested. But uh, I answer I'm answering every every request uh, basically at least. Uh, and very frequently, it's happened very frequently that, uh, yes, if I have time and the subject is, uh, I think I could add a value to what has been uh, uh, exposed, we can start working together. Amazing. Well, on that very positive note, Philip, I would like to thank you for taking the time to speak to me today. Yes, thank you very much, Adrienne. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Lux Unplugged podcast. Please share this podcast with friends and family and leave us a review on iTunes. Also, please don't forget to visit our website, luxunplugged.com. And see you next time.